Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Conversations with Smart and Amazing Women. Each week, we bring you a woman who can share an important resource and insights to help you access your passion, your purpose, and become the leading woman in your own life. You know, I've been interviewing these amazing leading women for more than 10 years, and it's one of my favorite things to do. I love hearing their expertise so much. I chose 19 of the best experts to co-author my book, Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. Now, if you haven't bought yours yet, or if you want to help a woman become the leader she was meant to be, check out your local bookstore or order it at Barnes & Noble or, of course, at Amazon. Today's amazing guest is Dr. Tara Cousineau. Tara is a clinical psychologist, well-being researcher, social entrepreneur, a mother, and a dedicated kindness warrior who focuses on helping people grow a kinder mind and an open heart through practicing loving kindness to others. Wow. You know, she's received numerous awards from the National Institute of Health, Small Business Innovative Research Program. She's founded Bodemoji.com, which nurtures and inspires teens through digital wellness tools. She is a mindful, mindfulness trainer and a chief science officer at WHIL, a digital mindfulness company, and serves as a scientific advisor to kindness.org. Her newest book, The Kindness Cure, How the Science of Compassion Can Heal Your Heart and Your World, exceeds any current work on the subject. I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Tara Cousineau. To conversations with smart, amazing women. Thanks for being with me. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, it's you're in Boston, so it's a little later. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm in California, so it's a little earlier. I was just talking about your book, you know, the kindness cure: how the science of compassion can heal your heart and your world. To me, right now, I'm also a psychologist, so what I'm seeing and what I'm surrounded by is that people really do need kindness. They really do need compassion. And we do really need something to connect us all together because we are all together, whether we know it or believe it or even like that. So I want to start out by talking about you because, as as I said, this is your morning. It's about you. It's about your book, which is so timely and so important. But your personal story, where you came from, why you are doing what you're doing today, I think is such value for people to understand. You know, oftentimes we don't ask those questions and we don't really understand where people come from. But typically when we do, we find we have some real commonalities. So if you don't mind, Tara, (laughs) starting with Mm -hmm. your your personal story. Um, Sure. I I always think context um, is helpful as well. Um, I'm a psychologist, but I grew up uh, essentially with a single mom. Uh, my parents divorced when I was quite young, and I was the only child in the second grade who had divorced parents, so that probably dates me now since half of kids have divorced parents these days. But I grew up with a lot of actually uh, chaos in a very toxic environment. But the framework even sort of beyond that was my mother was an immigrant. She came over from Germany after World War II to make a better life for herself. She was basically a poor Catholic girl and spent her toddler years in bomb shelters. And 
When I, yeah, when I um, was in kindergarten, actually, like, you know, like all of our stories go way back, don't they? Um, yeah, always, I, always. They do, right? And, and so I was taunted on the playground. I was called Nazi, and I didn't even know what the word meant. I couldn't spell. I didn't, it didn't have any sort of uh, connection in my consciousness. And over the years, you know, I would be called that because I had a beautiful German mother with a very strong accent, and it was one way that kids could, you know, do what kids do. And as I grew up and became, you know, a tween and a teen, and I really started to understand the magnitude of the history of Germany, I was just sort of in a constant state of shock and trauma And just real questions. Like, even with my mother, I was like, oh, gosh, I was a terrible adolescent towards her. I have to say, you know, I was like, why did this happen? You know, as if she had any control, right? But I really yeah. had always been grappling with this idea of, like, how could humanity be so utterly maliciously cruel? And when, for the most part, I actually knew, like, from my mother, nothing but kindness and compassion. In fact, I feel like she overcompensated in a lot of ways. We were always donating our clothes and our toys and things that we didn't need. We were on food stamps. We were poor, but it didn't matter. We were constantly giving. And um, so I just grew up with this bizarre paradox, I think. And it is a paradox of humanity, though. And right. so that was sort of the, the, the backdrop. And, um, you know, there's a lot of years in between there. I became a psychologist in part as a way to try to listen and understand, and um, particularly young children, because I felt like I wasn't very listened to as a child. But um, the instigating event was something actually quite recent with my own daughter, an an older daughter. She was a senior in high school, and she was assaulted by another girl. It was like one of these stupid, mean girl kinds of episodes. But I knew the girl, you know, Um, and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, I under, understand, you know, um, this kind of behavior. I see a lot of adolescent girls, but it was very close to home. And so my tiger mom came out in, in me, and I was like, what happened to kindness, right? So these right. questions always start from a personal place. And it sure. just got me thinking, like, oh, my God, there's so much that we know about science and compassion and how it spreads and how we can change the brain, and it's not getting – out there in the world. I feel like I had a mission then to be a translator, essentially. Wow. No, I, I, that's perfect. That's, I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. This bullying, you know, and, and of course, this is why the book is so extremely important, but this bullying and these mean girls, which, which grow up to be mean women, is so very, very important. And, and I don't see more enough people really saying enough is enough. You know, I still remember my little, my daughter coming home, and she was five years old at the time. And, and Lee, has this, she started wearing glasses when she was two years old. She had some, she had some eye issues, and so she started wearing these very, very, uh, you know, the, the lenses that made her eyes very, very big, you know. And so she, was, uh-huh. she came home from school one day, and, and we were sitting there. And this is a five-year-old, you know, and she was very sad. She had a very sad look on her face. And I said, Lee, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? She goes, oh, the kids at school called me four eyes. And I said, oh, Lee, I'm so sorry. And then all of a sudden this little voice, this little bitty voice said, it's okay, Mom. They're just children. And I thought yeah. to myself, oh, my God. And, and, and today, if you knew my daughter, you would understand that's exactly where she's coming from. She is a, 
getting her master's in social work, but I mean, I'm just saying, but there, there are some people that truly have kindness built into them that seems to understand, even when people are cruel to them, uh, that they can be compassionate. But here's a five-year-old. I think that little five-year-old that day taught me more. That was that, that was like a PhD in life, you know what I mean, when she said to me, yeah. Like, yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I didn't really write the book to be sort of a um, anti-bullying treaty at all. Um, it's just a really kind of a small part that was sort of the instigating event. But to your comment about children, and I, I start actually the book with a few little vignettes about children who right. um, are doing kind things, you know, from the purity of their own hearts. And so I think part of the message for me is, like, we have a basic instinct for kindness, all of us. All of us starting out in the world have the blueprint for empathy and for kindness. And it's what happens along the way that really shuts that down or stunts it or, um, you know, we can't help it if we're born into poverty or trauma or war, right? And in those kinds of environments, we engage our survival instincts. Like we have no choice, right? And when, when you have to survive, you can't really engage the aspects of your sort of body, mind, and spirit for kindness and compassion necessarily. It, ha- it takes effort, right? And that's not to say that it doesn't happen in those environments. Of course it does, but we sort of are just kind of built in a way where we're wired in, in a very sort of, you know, we, our primitive natures come online first, and then our caring, nurturing natures kind of come online second, and we actually really have to grow that. And so that was really kind of like one of the main messages in the book is that kindness takes effort. And it's not a bad kind of effort. It's actually so worth the effort when you engage that instinct and when you can really let it grow. You know, I've, in my previous lifetimes, and I still do a little bit, but I, was a, I did a lot of disaster relief work. And, and um, right now I'm, I live in Montecito, so it's uh, – it's been interesting. This is the first time that I have been uh, actually in a disaster before I was helping people that were in a disaster of their own. But, it's, but it is amazing, though. This is one thing that I have found, that sometimes during the very, very worst of times, people can be their very best, and which is... Absolutely. Which, which is really one of the reasons I think I continue to do a lot of disaster relief work was that I saw humans human beings being so human and so compassionate and so caring that I was really, it, it charged my heart, you know, it, I was eager for more, you know, and, 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 but unfortunately we live in a world where the news and the media see only pictures of horrific things and, and horrific uh, things that people do to one another, and I think that's uh, I've always wanted one thing. I've, I've just <laughs> this has been my one of my goals. I've got a good friend. She just wrote a book called "Be Good for Goodness Sakes," but but that there be one channel that we could just turn to uh, that was all about good news, all about the things that people do, and they do on a day to day basis such amazing things for other human beings, and we don't hear enough about them. Like the little boy in your story, I mean, making the stuffed animals. I mean, he couldn't afford to buy them. But he made them, and what love and with every one of those stuffed uh, toys and stuffed animals that he made, he put love into them, every bit of love that he could find in himself, and he put them into those those stuffed animals. But there has been scientific research on the fact that when people are kind 
and they're, you know, and they are compassionate and caring. Uh, there are physiological changes, but but when when I talk about this subject in general, what what is your take? I mean, where do you think we are in the world at this point? Do we are we are we completely losing our compassion? Are we losing our kindness? <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, Nancy, because you know I get this all the time. Like, oh, kindness isn't that nice, right? Isn't that sweet? Yeah, we all should be it. And there's sort of this um. The sort of suspicion about kindness and yeah. um, or that it's sort of weak or or God forbid that it's feminine, you know, it, it's sort of the softer skills. And I think what we're finding out now is that these are absolutely essential skills. And, you know, my definition for kindness is love in action. And that by putting ourselves out there, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and risking connection with perhaps people we're not familiar with or we don't know is absolutely the the opportunity for healing and connection. I mean, kindness is the energy of healing. It really is. And and as you say, like in disasters, you know, there's that famous quote that um, Fred Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers, when he was upset as a child and would see bad things on the news, he asked his mom about it. And she said, well, whenever you see, um, you know, something bad happen, look for the helpers. Yeah, yeah. And that's really true. And I, I agree with you that it shouldn't have to take disasters for us to um, really bring forth our, our basic essential humanity for kindness and goodness. So here's sort of my thesis is, is that we have to kind of work at it. We have to engage our compassion and kindness network in a very intentional, thoughtful way because precisely what you said, Nancy, is that our attention is going to the news. It just hijacks your amygdala. It hijacks the emotional center of your brain when you see, mm-hmm. you know, the last murder or the car accident or the refugee crisis. I mean, we are just overwhelmed and oversaturated really with all the negativity so I get this question now all the time you know do you think the world has gone to hell in a handbasket and and I'm like no I I, I agree with you I don't think so either but I mean I heard this and I believe this don't believe everything you see and you hear and and people do I mean you know it's like the trends you know what are the trends what I need to know what the trends are so I can be a part of the trends but but I think again that that as you said, kindness is like a muscle that has to be worked and has to be used. And I think when people have the opportunity and see the opportunity, I'd say the majority of people will use the kindness muscle. They will use that yes. compassion and that kindness when given the opportunity. You're right. You're kind to someone. They're wondering, well, what are your intentions? You know, what do you really want from me? And 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 I remember this. I was talking to a woman, and this is kind of where a lot of my. In fact, this is where my first book came from. Uh, well, my second book, but she, I, I asked her, because Women Connect for Good, the, the mission is to basically help other women, help other women to find their passion and their purpose and their drive. And I, I asked her, we'll call her Mary. I said, Mary, I said, uh, I said, how can I help you? How, what can I do to help you to encourage, uh, what can I help you to get your message out and your mission and to help you to do this? And on the other end of the line, it got really, really, really quiet. Finally, I thought, did, did the call drop? Is she gone? And I said, Mary, you're still there? And she said, do you mean you want to help me? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. 
And, and to me, that began a journey that I had no idea that just that simple, simple question, how can I help you, uh, opened up a, a new door, a new window was opened that began a whole different way of her, her even viewing and for me to understand that this is so very, very important because we all are in this together. You know, my, my premise is if one of us suffers, we all suffer. And I come from a, a background of uh, a very philanthropic family, too. So I'm, that, that kindness muscle was worked pretty regularly. In fact, in some ways, it was expected to be used. So, so I'm, not, I'm not unfamiliar with that. But, but it, does, it does surprise me, uh, Tara, when I come, come across a person who really is so suspicious or is so afraid when they are presented with something that really truly is a gift you know, a gift without conditions. Yeah, you know, I actually have a story in my book about Samantha. She goes by Sam. And the story is about sort of just, you know, accepting the helping hand. And, right. the, you know, the courage that it took her, who lost her job, lost her house in the housing crash. Her son was off to college. Um, you know, she was trying to figure out how to pay for everything. And a friend from across the country just said, you know what, just come and stay with me for three months. Just come and stay with me. You know, you'll have a place to stay. You'll figure it out. And it took her a while to take, it, take her up on it. And three months turned into three years. But in those three years, she built up a quilting practice. She wrote a book. She got her feet back on the ground. She moved, you know, somewhere else. And it was all because of this one person. And I think, you know, that we have this sort of idea, and it's sort of this American mentality that we have to kind of do everything on our own. And yeah. that somehow especially it's taxing to women. other people. Well, I mean, yeah. especially women. I've been working with women for 30 years. You know, again, mm. women, we, we believe uh, for us to be totally efficient and proficient, we have to do it by ourselves. And, and uh, asking for help is basically saying we're not doing it well by ourselves. And so, yeah, we, we definitely have to change that. You know, and, and I say this to women. I said, well, you know, one day, you're going to turn around and you're going to do this for someone else. And, that, you know, that really always brings a smile to a person's face when they say, yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe today yeah. I'm the one that needs Maybe I, today I'm the one that needs the help, but tomorrow somebody else is going to need it, and I'm going to be there for them. And uh, I think, I think it, it really is a pass it on kind of thing. You know, pay it forward, pass it on. And uh, typically anything that I've ever done in my life, I'm sure it's true for you as well, it, it has come back to me threefold. It's really true. You know, I want to say, say two things uh, in response to that. And one is, you know, I, I work with women too, basically adolescent girls on up. I just say, you know, through the lifespan. And there is sort of a flip side to sort of this, the cultural idea of kindness is that you always have to be agreeable and nice. And that's not my take on kindness at all. In fact, right. I think for a lot of women, it's actually the kindest thing that you can do in a moment is set a boundary. And that's yeah. really about self-compassion, right? Self-kindness is that is really being able to say no enough or these aren't the kind of people or the kind of partner that I want to um, be connected to. And that takes so much courage is to understand that sometimes saying, you know, saying no is actually a really kind thing to do. Um, so I do want to kind of add that piece into it because I, I try to weave that into my book too is that there's kindness that goes out into the world and it has this wonderful ripple effect. But we also need to be able to apply that same, you know, generosity and warmth of spirit to our own soul. Yeah, one of the 
points of your book that is very strong and very clear is that we really have to take care of ourselves first. We have to love ourselves, care for ourselves, be kind to ourselves before we really can do much for anybody else. I mean, it has to start with each one of us. I mean, we have to have our own resources. Being in a caring profession, I'm sure you've seen it too, is uh, burnout. Burnout is huge in in the caring profession. People that, that give, 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 and they're, but they're not giving back to themselves. They, they're not, you know, continuing to, to recharge and to, to reinvest in themselves. They turn out to have burnout and things that totally take them right out of their profession. I mean, I've been, in, I've been around people that have been in, in the caregiving field way too long and should have gotten out a long time before they, they you know, I mean, they've, they've lost that, they, you know, this is my job, this is what I do. No, you're not really doing your job because you're not really caring for yourself. Yeah, and you know, I think that there's some nuances that are coming out and on the social science side of, um, you know, what you're referring to as the compassion fatigue. And I think what the neuroscientists are finding now is that it's actually not compassion fatigue, it's empathy fatigue. And, you know, and, it, and it, then you have to kind of stand back and say, well, what's the difference, right? But empathy is that sort of emotional resonance with, with the feelings, you know, of, of another person or putting yourself in their shoes. You know, there's the emotional aspect and there's the cognitive yeah. aspect. But when when we get sort of overcome um, by another person's pain, is we shut down. And it's actually a very natural reaction. I mean, that's the stress reaction, right? And, you know, in some cases, we just um, have to shut down because we can't take in anymore. It's, it's sort of a self-protective thing. But what happens with caregivers is that that self-protective reaction become, turns into numbness or it can turn into coldness. You don't recognize that you've kind of sort of gone to that side of things. Whereas compassion is really being able to cultivate these sort of warm and tender feelings, even in spite of someone's suffering. And it actually is more of a, an uplift of positive emotions versus kind of being sucked under by the negative emotions. And so I find that nuance so helpful, um, you know, in working with people who are caregiving or even, you know, people who are care, caring for the elderly, like their parents who have Alzheimer's, is to really kind of understand that difference, you know. Right. Yeah. There's no reason to go down with a sinking ship. You know. I mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go. That doesn't do anybody any well. I've, I've helped everybody here on this ship, but now it's sinking. I'm going down with it. I, you know, that's, right. That's for sure. Well, the, the yeah. book has many, many positive resources in it, also, and uh, I loved. Uh, I took the uh, the kindness quotient, and and I think everyone should. I, I think people should go out showing should go in and check out what they. But how they really are doing, doing a do a kind of a temperature check, um, you know, and and I think that's true, especially people that are in the caregiving profession. Check out where you are, you know, how are you doing personally with your uh, abilities to help others and but and to help yourself at the same time. So that, I think that's very very valuable. Okay, so what are the things today that we can do? Each one of us can do to uh, to increase our kindness and our compassion for others. Well, one of the um, the things that I feel like is so neat in, um, in sort of like um, the modern social science is really, um, you know, how you see the bumper sticker all the time that says kindness is contagious, right? And then people kind yeah. of just like sort of like slot that to the side as some fun hallmark sentiment. But it's actually true. And this is what I find is so interesting is that the researchers who study the power of social networks and whether that's 
online or offline is that they can mathematically show that any idea or behavior, now this is positive or negative, that's inserted into a network will spread, and they call it the, um, the three degrees of influence rule. So, uh-huh. for instance, you know, if you demonstrate a kindness, even when it's a cost to you, that generous behavior spreads to your friend, that's one degree, to your friend's uh-huh. friend, that's two degrees, to your friend's friend's friend, you know, that's three degrees, reaching people that you don't even know. And then, and then that third degree friend that you don't know can influence you back, too, you know, just through the nature of, this, of these sort of shared social networks. And I just find this so powerful because then our social networks are sort of a, a kind of social capital, and we can actually create caring cultures on purpose. So. Yeah. I feel that just knowing that even the, even one small action um, is going to have a ripple effect. And so to be yeah. really thoughtful and mindful about what those actions are. So I'm going to use my husband as an example. He's, he's actually a very funny guy. And he has, and he's been doing this for years. He has set out every day to make one person laugh. And uh-huh. he'll go to the Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee, and he'll start joking with the person behind the counter or someone behind in the line. And he usually gets, like, a, a good group of people laughing. And sort of uh-huh. that's, his been, that's been his personal practice of sort of, you know, sending positivity out into the world, you know, in some way. And it's that simple, right? That doesn't yeah. cost anything. What it costs is your own willingness to engage with yeah. other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, simple things. So – my sort of mantra is, even in difficult moments, because, you know, I'm raising a family. It's been very stressful. Um, our environment with the public discourse is so, so negative. And yeah. I can wake up every day pissed off, to be honest with you. Like, all i got to do is turn on, you know, a news cycle. And so I, I actually avoid that. And I actually highly recommend that for most people, is not to start your day with the news, but to start your day with, well, how can I bring kindness into this day? What's yeah. one thing that I can do either for myself as a way of self-compassion or towards somebody else? Simple things sure. like gratitude. You know, like, you know, you know, the research on gratitude is like, well, that is just like such a great remedy for most ailments <laughs> to start yeah. appreciating oh, things and yeah. saying thank you, um, which are always in response to something that, that started from kindness. So they go hand in hand. You're talking about exercise, but you're uh, exercising certain certain practices which really can improve that kindness and compassion. But meditation for me has been one of the most valuable things I've ever done in my life. During the most difficult times, meditation has basically saved my life. But there are practices of mindfulness and meditation that you talk about in your book, which are I think are extremely valuable. This is a uh, it's a book that also has a lot of great uh, information, but a lot of great practices that people put in import in, into their own lives to really make that kindness uh, <laughs> flow forth. And you know what? It's I, I, I truly believe, Tara, that it's, it's really up to each one of us to do our part. <laughs> I, I think we're we're all put on this earth to to learn and when we stop learning it's time to go but we're all here to connect and to learn and to help one another and and a lot of people think I'm goofy when I talk about that but I just look at and smile and and I guess that's the other thing you know one of the simple things that I often do and I and I make a point of it is you just smile at people mm-hmm. you know and it's amazing when you smile at someone or just say hello in, in our world in, in the United States saying Smiling and saying hello to someone that you don't know is is so powerful. It's almost amazing. 
It is, and you know that you say that, it's just reminding me of, um, so I grew up next to Newtown, Connecticut, and um, they had the horrible, you know, Sandy Hook School uh, massacre a number of years ago, and they have, um, they have started a campaign, this is through the Sandy Hook Promise, called um, Start With Hello. It's a school yeah. campaign, and it is. It's just so simple, and it's so basic, and that if we could all start the day with hello, in particular to people that aren't in your close network, you know, that are outside the network, it really can change the entire culture of a school, of an organization, of a community, and yeah. it, is an, yeah. it is very simple. Yes. Right. I was in uh, San Miguel, Mexico over New Year's. So It's a beautiful Mexican, very, very unique, very quaint city, and everyone smiles and says hello. I mean, you're almost like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and these are just people on the streets, and everybody goes, hola, and goes by, and they smile, you know, como esta, you know, you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. But you know, it, it really does, it really does change and make your day when when people really are just engaging and just just recognizing that you exist. <laughs> Well, it's really true. Yeah, and, you know, Nancy, I have a theory about that, and this goes back to my German upbringing because we used to go and visit Germany pretty much every other year when I was growing up. And, you know, Germany is like the size of Idaho. I mean, you know, so I feel like there's, in the United States, we have, in a way, a disadvantage about just physically how large we are. We don't really live in these small, tiny villages like you might find in Mexico or you might find in Europe where people walk. They, they walk to the butcher. They walk to the grocer. You know, everything is very tight. You have this sense of, of kinship in a way that, that people really – you know, are in it together and your food comes from the earth and there's all of these connections, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, you know, it matters. It makes a difference. So, and I love that the word kinship is associated with kindness, you know, kin, it's about belonging to one another. So I totally agree with you. And I think that we have to make more of an effort in the kinds of communities that we live that are so spread out. Um, it, it's, it's hard to engage, you know, maybe in school, maybe in your churches, but, it's, um, there's a different culture now. I mean, people are more self-involved, and we have the convenience of technology, which means that we actually don't engage person to person. It's through these, the wireless. You know? um, yeah. I, no. I think it affects um, our ability to, to engage. Well, people like you and me, we're going to change that. We're going to do it one yeah. person at a time. You know? but, well, one of the things I want to, to invite you to be a part of is the Women Connect for Good family, the leading women family, because everyone that I ever ever have a conversation with, you know, I'm, we're building this community of like-minded people who really do care, who really do want to connect and make this world a better place. So um, I, yes, definitely. I, I invite you to join with the rest of us and be a part of, the, of this growing community of leading women. So, uh, well, you want, you want anyway, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Yes, no, and I love it. I love that you have to connect, you know, women connect for good. It's just so beautiful. Well, thank you. Well, let's, where, can, where, where can we find more about you and buy this beautiful book and, and uh, uh, learn more about how we can make this a better world by just being kind? Uh, actually, I have a little, I have a little uh, someone sent me a card, and, it's in a, and I put it in a frame, and it said, it says a, a simple act of kindness is often not forgotten and and I just absolutely love that so I I actually framed it and put it where people could see it because it was just 
it was such a sweet, profound statement that I thought, no, that's, that's what we each need. But just a, yeah. a simple act of kindness is often not forgotten. But, uh, and this, is what, this book is much bigger than that, by the way. So we're well, going to learn. I just want to say, Nancy, that's so true. I mean, as, as a psychologist, when I hear the most traumatic, upsetting stories of people's lives and how they found the inner strength, right, to, to survive right. and to cope, it's often one act of kindness or one kind person, a teacher, a mentor, a neighbor, somebody yeah. who actually showed um, a different way of being in the world. It's, well, it, it might be small, but it's so profound. Yeah, it just shows they cared and yeah. they noticed. About you, where do we find you? Where do we, how do so, we oh, so my name, which is not so easy, you can find me at my website, which is tarakuzino.com, and that's T-A-R-A-C-O-U-S-I-N, like cousin, E-A-U. Dot com, And um, like you said, Nancy, there's, I have this fun little quiz. It's called the Kindness Quotient. And I think probably most people are kindness warriors, but it's kind of fun to take um, just to get you thinking about kindness. And, um, and I, have a, I have a blog there. I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook, Tara Kuzno. Just search for me. And um, I'm going to be doing periodic Facebook Live. So I'm sort of stretching my edge here on the social media side. But I, I do feel like you is important just to – I'm a message. I'm serving a message here about kindness and compassion. And yeah. so my website, Facebook, I'm on Twitter and Instagram too. Just, you know, search for my name, Tara Cousino, and you can find well, me there. So, um, and if you love the book, of course, you know, I'd love, love a review. You know, reviews are golden. As I said, Tara, this is a very timely, very important book. And uh, this world can use a lot more kindness right now. One person at a time today, tomorrow, yeah. every day. Do one act of kindness, just one act of kindness each day, no matter what. Just one act, one act that that could change the world. If everyone today just made a promise to themselves, just one act of kindness for someone else, it would be amazing. Well, and, and maybe even just an act of kindness starting with themselves because I think exactly first and then we pass it on. But uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. No, I want to thank, thank you, Nancy. It's just been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I never say goodbye. I just will we'll be in touch again. Um, anything else that comes up that you're doing, please let us know, and we'll help promote it. Okay, thank you. Likewise. You have a wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thanks.